Sounds good. Well, um, Chris, thank you so much for taking time for this. I appreciate it. Uh, my name is Misha. I'm the founder of Athenia. Uh, uh, we currently have 1,200 members in cybersecurity. Uh, and Chris, thank you so much for um, taking your time to for for this interview. Before we, I guess the first thing I want to start with, can you tell a little bit about your background and how you got in cybersecurity? Sure. Um, so originally I was working uh, in the intelligence field, actually. And uh, the more time I you know, spent around classified information and kind of what the goal of our operations were, the more I realized that you know, classified systems were kind of the biggest targets of anything. And then anyone who had placement access to those was a, a pretty important asset to you know, target assess or protect whatever we were doing at the time. So kind of um, when I decided being part of the Intel community was no one ever, not no longer a kind of a thing that aligned with me anymore, that uh, the protection of cyber systems was kind of a natural pivot point. So I kind of saw the growth there, you know, 15 years ago when, uh, when I was transitioning out. Mm -hmm. I understand. And uh, what is your current role? Uh, right now I'm a CISO at uh, T0 Group in crypto. Mm -hmm. And before that, can you maybe talk a little bit about your background, kind of progression, your career progression? Sure. Yeah, sure. So um, after I got out of the military, I was doing kind of uh, my own business in kind of setting up small business cybersecurity, you know, very basic firewalls, very basic kind of PCI compliance type things for small businesses um, and really self-learning, to be honest. Uh, and during that time, I went back to school to get my master's. Mm -hmm. uh, took some roles uh, to learn a little bit more about routing and networking with AT&T. Um, you know, came up as a junior engineer to a senior engineer to a manager, director, VP of engineering at Critical Start uh, mm -hmm. before I transitioned over to head of security at T0. I understand. I understand. Um, from what we see and kind of the headlines that we read, it seems like there was a massive shortage of cybersecurity executives. Uh, and I think a lot of companies are trying to fill the gaps and not being very successful. And it seems uh, there's kind of a new uh, new group of uh, maybe a little bit more, more junior cybersecurity professionals or even students who are kind of looking into the field. From your vantage point, someone who is uh, in their, uh, I guess, mid twenties or, or so, looking to get in the field and looking to get into senior cybersecurity roles, what would be your advice? Um, like if, if you were to give yourself an advice when you were like in your 20s, what, what would it be? Um, well, I would have joined, I would have, I would have gotten out of Intel sooner. Um, so I would have had uh, started cybersecurity younger age, that's for sure. Um, but you're right, we have this kind of shortage of, you know, cyber executives, mid to senior level people, the people that can mentor, the people that can, um, kind of deal with things at a slightly higher level. Um, and then we have a ton of, of people trying to get into the industry. A lot of people who are, um, you know, ready to take those entry-level jobs, um, have a lot of, you know, you know, smart kids, ability to learn. Um, they really want to get into it. And the problem is that the entry-level jobs are not particularly that abundant right now. It's all, you know, mid to senior level people. And it's basically, I think, we had a breakdown in the industry of mentoring, I don't know, five, 10 years ago, where we just didn't really build that kind of middle, that middle group that should be mentoring now. Mm -hmm. So all the people that should be able to kind of bring those new people in and mentor them and get them up to speed pretty quick, they're doing, you know, two, three roles. So if, you know, if you look at some of the job descriptions these days, they want someone who can, 
run GRC and vulnerability management and AppSec and Endpoint and SIM. And those typically were several people. And now they want people who can do all that. And there are some people, um, you know, like myself that have been exposed to all that can do that. Um, but it's taking away my time from mentoring, which is what I should be doing mm -hmm. and helping being like a force multiplier for new people. So the one thing I think I would tell myself and new people is work on, work on practical skills that you can come in and provide a company like today. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you've got all these options in training, um, you know, education, there's all these options out there. Um, people are trying to make money on that uh, just as much as you're trying to learn. Uh, and then I would ask yourself, what does this qualify me to do when I'm done? And, and it's hard to answer when you don't know, but think about, look at the course, do some due diligence. Can I actually configure or deploy or change anything in the environment mm -hmm. after the course? Or am I just kind of learning, you know, notionally how to do it or the theory behind doing it or uh, one open source tool way of doing it that no one really uses in enterprise enterprise environment? And I would try and seek out a couple of things that I could tell a company, look, I can solve this problem for you tomorrow because that's the quickest way someone's going to hire you. So it's whether it's firewalls or endpoint or, or SIM or whatever it is, try and get a specific cert that you can show someone. And, and, and the cert's the representation of your skills. So the cert's not as, as important as the skills behind it, but mm -hmm. you want to be able to go in into an employer and say, you are looking for someone to manage this. I can do that in a production environment. I see. And and, and that'll make them feel better because then someone like me doesn't have to do that task and I can spend more time mentoring that person. And then we can start backfilling this kind of gap we have. Makes sense. And you mentioned mentoring. It's, it sounds like for someone who's fairly junior, it would be very important to find a mentor who can kind of guide them and help them make choices, what to focus on and how to structure their time. Very much so. I think everyone at all levels should have some semblance of a mentor. Um, I was very blessed during my whole career. I've had some very good mentors. Uh, some of my mentors were people who worked for me in, in some regards. Um, there are some um, people who are my senior in age that are just technical experts and they want to stay in that space. And I learned a lot from them. Mm -hmm. And I think as a leader, um, you should never really feel like, okay, now I know it all. It's my turn to teach it all. You still have to keep learning. Mm -hmm. um, because A, you have to be able to teach it, or B, there's still things you probably need to learn. But yeah, whether you're starting off, uh, you're in your middle of your career, a mentor can help you kind of navigate those next steps. So I highly recommend it, um, whether it's formal, informal, you know, try and find someone that you can spend some time with. And even it's just kind of getting, you know, running some things by them. So you can kind of make that next, next leap. Makes sense. Makes sense. And kind of in the same vein, um, an advice for kind of, I guess, your peers, because I, my understanding that sometimes it can get challenging navigating um, cybersecurity agendas versus IT, CIO, CTO versus senior leadership, C, let's say president or CEO versus the board. Do you have any advice um, on how to make sure that other constituencies and other kind of senior uh, senior leaders are on the same page and they're aware of uh, kind of the, the things you're focusing on, make sure that uh, they have your back. Uh, yeah. What what kind of advice would you would you give for someone who kind of a CISO level, but maybe struggling with some of those issues? Sure. Yeah. Getting buy-in. I mean, we're a cost center. Uh, we 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 don't generate a lot of income, if any, if none really, for a company. So we don't always get the uh, the buy-in we want. Um, we complicate things for a lot of business units. So that, you know, a lot of times we're seen as someone who comes in and makes other other departments' lives a little bit harder. So I think it's really important to sit down 
uh, and really understand the business and how you can get security to align with the business. Um, I know that sounds a lot like selling out maybe, um, but it's the reality. Um, if the company falls, goes under and doesn't exist, there's no security team anyway. And so if, you're, if you want to protect the customers, um, letting the company go out of business doesn't help them either because they, they want that product or they want that service. Mm-hmm. So you really have to sit there and go, how do I align with the company to let it to do what it wants in a secure way? So instead of being what they call the office of no, the answer should be your job is to figure out how to say yes in a secure, safe way. So whether it's caveats, whether it's conditions, you know, some company says, hey, we want to roll out an app tomorrow. Mm-hmm. The answer isn't just no, it's not possible. You say yes. If we can get the whole dev team to work nonstop and my security team gets in there and we run scans and we, we shift left and we do it, you know, we secure, you know, you got to have those, those possibilities. I mean, sure, it's not probable, but you got to try and figure out how to say yes, how to figure out how to do it right. Not to say, hey, no, no, it's not possible. Because if the security team's killing innovation, you're not going to get any buy-in and you're not going to help your company. And six, I think is an amazing insight. So uh, the answer is not a no, but it's a qualified yes. It's a qualified yes. Yeah. I mean, it's really your job. That's why you're in that position. So you can figure out how to do it the right way. You have all these tools that you've learned over the years. You should know your stack. You should know what they can do. You should know what your capabilities are. Mm-hmm. So when someone comes in and say, hey, we have this crazy idea. You go, great, let's hear it. Let's figure it out. How can I, how can I make this safe? How can I secure this? You know, new API endpoints, or maybe it's something with the firewall. We change some rules here. We add some, you know, a new different key system. You, you have to have all those things in the back of your head, figuring out how do I get to yes on this one? Um, sometimes it's still not, you know, sometimes you don't get there, but you have to go through that exercise. Uh, and when you do, you'll, you'll find pretty quickly those teams come to you earlier with these problems because they know you're actually going to collaborate. You're not going to say, no, we're not going to deal with this. Exactly. So it's instead of being having contradictory agendas, you're actually aligning everyone behind a business goal, but doing it in a secure way. It makes a lot of sense. Exactly. Exactly. That's the way I try and look at it. And I, I don't think I came up with this. It's not a unique idea of mine. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I know a lot of people practice this. But it, it's definitely something I feel is like misunderstood, um, at least a lot of times by junior people. Mm-hmm. They look at CISOs as someone who's, you know, not making the right decisions and not doing things the most secure way and, you know, just worried about budgets. And, and, and to some degree, there was a generation where the business side was probably pushing the security team over. So there's some, there's some truth to that. But I feel like today's CISOs are trying to do it this way. They're mm-hmm. trying to insert security where it can be aligned with the business you know, and, 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 you know, get to yes in a secure way. hundred percent. I understand. I understand. Um, another question that I had, so it seems there is a lot of um, kind of analysis about what's the most pressing issues now. And I mean, there are Gartner reports and um, a lot of information about like phishing attacks and, and ransomware, which is what we have now. But I'm really curious about what you think, what, what some of the challenges uh, the industry will face I don't know, six months from now, 12 months from now. So in your view, what would you think would be top three most pressing challenges that we will face uh, in I don't know, six, six to 12 months? So one thing I think is that, so, you know, with, with the economic situation around COVID where a lot of people uh, are out of work, a lot of people are stuck at home, a lot of people don't have a lot of options and they're looking to, you know, cybersecurity is maybe being a, a means of survival to, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as we said, these new people um, aren't getting entry-level jobs very easily. 
Uh, it's very easy to look at the red team tools that are all open source. There's free training on it. Anyone can use them and kind of dabble in the kind of pen test bug bounty side. Um, and that doesn't really make enough money if you're, unless you're hired on too. Uh, and that's where people are going to start going in the full legal side, in my opinion. So, you know, we've seen breach after breach, uh, O-Day after O-Day. We've had to patch Microsoft 10 times a week. Chrome's getting patched every week. iOS is getting patched every week. People are spending their time poking holes in these things because it's there's money in it now and they've got nothing better to do. And we didn't bring them into the InfoSec community like we could have. We could have opened the door and given these people training and, and brought them over to the blue team and integrated all these really smart people. And really, the, you know, we didn't open the doors. We did a lot of gatekeeping. We're, we're not opening the doors when we need to. And so a lot of people are turning to the crime side as a means of survival. So I think it, as, as, economic, as the economy either continues to get worse or doesn't get better, we have to really expect a wave of crime that we're just kind of starting to see kind of crescendo now. I feel like that's going to continue. And I think we're going to see it around application security mainly because everything is an app these days. Everything, you know, any business has some sort of business application that's web facing mm-hmm. and um, not enough companies are investing the time and the resources to do shifting left and, and static analysis in their code. And we have a sea of red teamers, both illegal and legal, just pointing their arrows at it and poking holes in it. I see. And, I don't and is it kind of onshore or from, over, from overseas or both maybe? It's both. It's both. I mean, I think there's a lot, there's, you know, traditionally been a lot of overseas but we're going to see a rise in just the, you know, the homegrown versions of it. You know, people call it script kitties and people that aren't as advanced. But mm-hmm. with the commoditization of these tools, they don't have to be as advanced as they used to be to do some real damage. I so um, I think we're going to see it anywhere where there's economic instability. You're going to see this as an option for some people. And unless, you know, when I mean, we have to we have to kind of face this on multiple fronts, one is from, a you know, uh, the government has to deal with the kind of economic situation, but, but from a in, in depth, from our industry's perspective, we really need to be recruiting on the blue team heavily right now. All these really smart young minds that are looking for a job, they're looking for a means to have respect and to grow into something and learn. Mm-hmm. Um, and instead of closing the door and, and kind of leaving them to go figure it on their own and, 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 and turn to kind of crime, we need to bring them in. And, and, and get them on the blue team and help defend. I mean, even if they're going to be pen testers of the blue team, that's where we need them. I see. Makes a lot of sense. What are some of the other challenges? So, Yeah, so specifically, I do see ransomware continuing to grow. Um, um, a lot of companies are spending a lot of time and effort to, to combat it from a technical perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, I think from a human perspective, my, my background uh, in human intelligence I feel like we're going to start seeing a little bit more insider threat getting involved. You know, we started to see some ransomware gangs actually just offer employees money to, hey, just plant this somewhere where there's no AV, plant this somewhere no one can find it, you know, give us a back door, whatever it is. I feel like that's going to grow. You know, we're already seeing a, a, a mostly remote workforce. A lot of people have been hired on companies where they've never actually maybe met anyone. It's all been remote. Uh, the, the, the kind of loyalties to these to companies is probably at an all-time low and someone's going to come around with a life-changing amount of money and all you got to do is drop some malware or a backdoor or leave a port open and someone's going to give you a couple million dollars and because you've been in the environment and you see that their logging's not good or whatever it is, you can get away with it, people are going to do that. So um, I see that's a trend. It's not going to be, you know, 
you know, off the charts huge, but I feel like it's going to grow pretty significantly in that. In and that it's, it's one that's not very easy to defend against. It's uh... Well, you know, it is. It's just not sexy because no one sells a product against it. What you have to do is actually do identity access management the right way. Because if you were living in an environment where everyone has access to everything, it's very easy for someone to do something like that. Whereas if you have really strict controls on who can access what, uh, really strict logging around it, really strict right. situation where the chances of success are actually low, um, then you actually deter employees from really going there. But if they know that, look, no one's even logging, no one's looking, I can go in and change stuff in production and no one even pays attention. Like if you're one of those kind of startupy modes and you haven't really put security in there yet, you can get away with anything. You can build your own back doors in the code. You can do whatever you want if there's no one watching. So you need to get that, that framework in there to deter people in the first place. So when they are approached, it isn't even really an option. A, because they don't have the placement access they need or B, they think that there's something in there that's actually gonna kind of bring it back to them. Right. I mean, they need to know if, if they do something like this, they will not be able to do it without leaving a footprint. Yeah, there's going to be logs, there's going to be attribution, their, their name's going to be on it. Um, mm -hmm. As long as that's the case, that's a pretty good deterrence because, you know, a life-changing amount of money if you're in jail does not mean that much. But if there's almost no chance of getting caught because this company has no security and no security team and, you know, it, it makes it, it, it makes good people make bad decisions when they're off and they're offered a lot of money and there's very low risk of getting caught. 100%. Especially if they feel they're just getting even with a company that didn't. Yeah, do yeah, they're disenfranchised anyway. You know, they're they're remote. They haven't made any real connections. Uh, maybe they're getting underpaid. Or, yeah, I understand. I think about yeah. I think about how many companies are outsourcing to other countries and just just to really pay less. You know, no one really talks about that, but you're really you know telling some other country like, hey, we're only here because we can get you to do the work for cheaper. And that's not a really great message if you don't really bring them into the fold and make them part of a team and make them feel like they're building something. If you're treating them more like a mercenary, then you're opening your, and, and, and what kind of vetting you're really doing, you know, not a lot of vetting. So you're opening the door to this sort of behavior, you know, into your, your own environment. Totally. So that's the second one. What would be the third thing that will people wake up to in 12 months? Um, I still think social, the social engineering part, because humans are always the weakest link. Um, I think that's always the strongest piece. So phishing may evolve, you know, we'll build tools that detect phishing a bit better. It'll quarantine the attachments a little bit better, but there'll be different ways to communicate them via Slack, test, text message, phone calls, you know, different ways to just convince a human that someone on the other side <clears throat> is legitimately asking for something that they can give them. So mm -hmm. um, that's something where, you know, tech is a big part of solving that. Um, training is another part. But we've been talking about that for years, and I don't think training has ever really, uh, really put a dent in, in phishing and the social engineering side. Uh, but I definitely see a continued increase in that as, you know, deep fakes and other technologies make it, you know, really hard to tell who's on the other line you're actually dealing with. Yeah, I actually saw one from AI, which was very convincing, and it was a simulated attack that actually worked. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know. We tell people, hey, you get an email, we'll call someone up, do a video conference, whatever it is. If you call up a number and, and let's say you've never actually talked to this person, but that's the number that's listed and you call them and, and you've done videos with them and you hear the same voice or maybe you see the same face or whatever it is, um, there's not a lot else we're really asking people to do to verify. So um, I don't think there's a lot of people with the capabilities to do it that well, but that's going to change over time. So.
sure. um, we do have to come up with other means to train and, and kind of have people spot inconsistencies and do some additional vetting, even when, when their eyes and their ears are telling them, okay, this is someone I've dealt with before. 100%. We'll be, um, without kind of, if, if you prefer, without naming names, what would be the crazy, like in your career, what would be the craziest story, cybersecurity related, that you could share? Uh, so very early on in my career, I was at an MSSP as an engineer. And, you know, my job was to configure firewalls and to, you know, set up VPN tunnels and to, you know, do all these kind of engineering, you know, configuration setup, you know, kind of pieces. And uh, the firewalls were kind of alerting into some SIM that was kind of a makeshift SIM. And I remember one day and I'd been there, you know, maybe two, three months doing, you know, maybe four months doing a job. And I asked someone, so who's monitoring all the alerts in the SIM? Because I don't really see anyone in the SOC that does that. And their answer was, well, we're doing that. And I was looking around and I'm like, <laughs> I don't see anyone doing that. I don't really see any alerts. And I don't really see us telling any customers that this stuff's coming in. And I was really confused that, you know, that they thought that they were really responding. I mean, it, <laughs> the company doesn't exist anymore, so it's not a big issue. But uh, basically, this was one of those MSSPs where they were sending a bunch of data to some sinkhole and never telling the customer anything and not really looking at alerts. And if something bad happened, no one even really knew. And I, early on, I just like assumed there was some whole other team that was like responsible for that. And when someone said like, oh no, we're, you know, we're doing that. I remember thinking like, well, no one's ever even brought me into the tool. The SIM doesn't even really have any information in it. I don't even think half of the customers are even reporting into it. Um, and I've never seen anyone actually tell a customer anything comes up from this. And unless you physically go into the tool, you don't actually see anything. So this can't be set up very successfully. So yeah, that was, that was one where my heart sank. I'm like, oh, I'm part of a big problem. I'm, I'm in a bad place. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. It's amazing uh, uh, to your point that sometimes humans, it could be the best tool, but humans could be the weak, weakest link. Oh, it's, definitely. It's knowing something and acting on it could be two different things. That's yeah. awesome. Well, I really appreciate you for, uh, appreciate sharing uh, your insights. Um, and again, I also appreciate you being part of Finia as we continue to learn and grow. What will be... Um, one thing about Afinia that made it attractive and what will be one thing that you wish we had or you would, uh, you would wish we, we changed? Uh, so far, everything has been, has been pretty nice. I mean, uh, connecting with the peers, uh, seeing consolidated, you know, when people are getting, you know, raised up into the CISO positions, seeing, you know, what's out there for CISOs, seeing what a consolidated list of like, um, of events that are kind of uh, designated towards us. Those are all pretty nice. I guess maybe, uh, you know, maybe meetups a little bit more or small panels, you know, maybe little discussions where you can kind of break off and maybe, maybe uh, get together with some peers on a particular subject and, and then kind of hash out like, hey, we're having a problem with this. What are you guys doing with this particular problem that's just kind mm -hmm. of gone on the radar? Um, and just kind of, you know, brainstorm a little bit with people that are dealing with the same issues at scale, you know? Thank you for your feedback. Actually, with this in mind, we recently launched uh, this new series. It's called the uh, CISO Mastermind series, which are uh, which we already did one for financial services, one for healthcare, and it's a dozen or so CISOs, no vendors, uh, join for uh, on a Zoom call for thirty minutes, 
and again, the kind of introductions around the room, cameras on, and then they, they would say, well, my superpower is uh, I don't know, phishing attacks, and but I really need help with A, B, and C. And they kind of uh, share insights and the ideas to your point, put a face to a name and then connect offline and have this more intimate network, not just 1200 members, but 12 people in the same industry can pick up the phone and say, hey, I have a question. So that, that's one. The other, um, I mean, we, we're rolling still, but I'll, I'll cut it out. Um, the other one, uh, the new website, I'm not sure if we use it at all, but the new version of it will include um, a forum. Again, mm -hmm. nothing is indexed. It's, uh, uh, it, it can only access it with a login so that it can post a question and then this question will go to and can designate who the question goes to. And then I, ideally uh, people will provide feedback or again, we'll connect offline. And finally, uh, we, we're getting and uh, trying to stand comfort level of our members to um, small scale, small scale dinners, which will be kind of city specific, probably mm -hmm. start like Austin, Miami, and then uh, eventually, uh, and this will be probably like every, at least every quarter. So those are some of the things that I think will, it's not just an audience like for, for the, um, uh, for the weekly email, but more a way to connect with in, um, in more kind of intimate format. So it's not just kind of a large group, but kind of getting to know people within, within the industry, within the same, uh, the same title. So those are things that we're doing. Uh, and there's, that's probably as we'll continue to come online as we go. Chris, last question. Is there, nice. is there, um, I know we're coming up on time. Is there one vendor that you dealt with and that, uh, and know, last three, six months that did an awesome job and that you just were totally blown away. Um, anyone you could. Yeah, I'm, I'm continually impressed by Sentinel One. I feel like they've, uh, they continue to do a lot of research around how to best combat the, the current threats. Uh, and they stay pretty current with their platform and they make it pretty easy for people to go in there, you know, threat hunt, write custom stuff, really get into their environment and dig out the information they need. Mm -hmm. um, so I've been pretty impressed with them, to be honest. That's awesome. Um, we actually, as part of the new platform, a new membership site. So in addition to this forum that I mentioned, we'll also have a section, kind of a vendor directory mm -hmm. uh, where members will rate vendors. Because I think if you say something about Sentinel One, I think it will be hundred times more credible than someone who goes to G2 Crowd or Gartner. Uh, yeah. Because it's, you know, it's uh, more genuine. Yeah. Yeah. There's no. So um, that's, that's kind of like one of the reasons I, I think it would be awesome if you can provide something and someone else you can, and then uh, it'll be a lot more meaningful. Well, uh, yeah, I agree. Right up on time. Thank you so much for your time. Let me, I'll do the, the little edits. And uh, again, I mean, if, if you're okay, I'll just post it. If, if you'd like to. Yeah, I'm okay. I'm sure it'll be fine. I didn't think there was anything that was awesome. You know, and last thing, if, um, if there is something that you think is, again, missing or something is wrong, something we need to do better, just send me a note and uh, we'll, we'll get on it. All right. Sounds great. Thanks for your time. Thank you. Nice meeting you. Thank you as well.